is Off The Fence with me, James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. Parliament has been prorogued. Yeah, yeah, they've taken over. They've, they've, although, possibly not for much longer. Yeah, there's lots to talk about on the show tonight, and it's kind of just happened before we even start recording, so... Operation Yellowhammer documents have dropped With online. no regard for our convenience. <laughs> These are the plans by the government in a worst-case scenario for a no-deal Brexit, what that's going to be like. So we're going to talk about those in a minute. First of all, like we said, this is off the fence. If you've listened to us for the first time, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, you can follow us on there and on Twitter. First of all, Labour conference is coming up in a week or two. I just wanted to mention this because it was quite a big announcement and it seemed to go down really well. It completely fights back against that whole weird right-wing narrative that some people have of Labour not being for the working class anymore. Well, what they mean by that is uh, like the people who voted Leave were generally poorer than the people who voted Remain. Therefore, uh, Labour has abandoned the working classes on presumably the one thing they assume they care about. But on all other issues around the working class, there's a lot of evidence that Labour Party are there to support those groups of people and yeah in a, in a way that's frankly unprecedented in the modern era yeah this big sort of push on workers rights the biggest expansion of them in the UK is being brought forward by the Labour Party many things seen in the 2017 manifesto in that election and a few new bits as well so £10 an hour living wage a ban on unpaid internships zero hours contracts workers on company boards um, a 10% stake for employees of large companies where those employees will be I think yearly paid dividends of up to £500 Uh, repealing the trade union act obviously that's still in there sectoral collective bargaining and i think this was the new part Uh, a ministry for employment and workers protections agency with power to enter workplaces and bring prosecutions which i think the daily mail had like a front page spread of corbyn trying to take the uk back to the 70s with you know like union power and uh you know the power to prosecute yeah. bosses the the headline is only <laughs> taking us back to the 70s and it's only in the actual story themselves and they mention by giving unions any capacity to defend their workers whatsoever <laughs> yeah. jeez yeah. and lots of people you know saw that and were like okay yeah that sounds cool i'm, I'm liking this yeah, I, no, joy division were a late 70s band so it's going to be fine yeah that does unfortunately mean a couple of long years of prog so <laughs> brace yourself for that Prorogation, let's talk about that. This report from The Guardian here. Scottish Appeal Court judges have declared Boris Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament in run-up to the October Brexit deadline is unlawful. Um, Lawyers acting for 75 opposition MPs and peers argue Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament for five weeks was illegal and in breach of the Constitution as it was designed to stifle parliamentary debate and action on, on Brexit. And that's the key part because loads of people defending him were saying... This happens all the time, you know? People prorogue. You've been asking for a new Queen's speech, a new parliament for ages, so let's prorogue this one. People prorogue for how long, exactly? Yeah, it's never been for this long, not for five weeks. And then people are like, well, we were going to have a a break anyway for conference. Yeah, that was an adjournment, not a prorogue. And there's a difference between that. As we explained last week, it kills all the bills that are currently active. It's not just a, an adjournment. It's not just leaving Parliament for a few weeks and coming back. Do you mean to suggest that the people who are arguing in favour of this are doing so in bad faith? Maybe. The judges failed to issue an interdict or injunction ordering the UK government to reconvene Parliament, prompting a row over whether the decision meant MPs could go back to the House of Commons. I'm assuming in more of a capacity than like 
taking like fawning pictures of look at me i'm in my seat I'm yeah ready to and do that's my it job. that's exactly what happened <laughs> it's yes. a bunch of mps that just went back so i'm here ready to work bit embarrassing guys yeah, yeah. so parliament will not be coming back at least that's the situation right now until this proroguing is over there's also this aspect of did johnson essentially mislead the queen and implicate her in this whole thing he would never he would never not our dear queenie uh, loads of people were like, yeah, um, weren't when she getting handcuffs on her as well? <laughs> yeah, it's a bizarre situation that the Queen may what, have been... What are the details? Of, what did he mislead her on? Basically, that part that this was just a proroguing to bring oh, okay. a new parliament, a new Queen's speech, it's just, you know, a normal amount of time, that it was actually designed to stifle parliamentary debate and action on Brexit. He was meant to have a second PMQs. I think he was meant to be giving testimony to a committee as well in Parliament. But any, yeah, anyway... Those things will not be happening. No scrutiny required there. Weird that. Instead, he did, um, Boris Johnson did the People's PMQs, where he sits on Facebook Live and just answers, like, completely unchallenging questions. Um, How do you maintain such massive gut? (laughs) So that's the proroguing. Now, let's talk about Operation Yellowhammer, because that's just happened the past, like, hour or two before we started recording. Operation Yellowhammer, it's worth mentioning, sounds way more Tom Clancy than it is. Yeah. Uh, Operation Yellowhammer is the government's no-deal planning, which they were forced to release through a vote in Parliament just before Parliament split up. In that vote, there was also a vote for them to release government communications about planning this proroguing, and they refused to release those currently. But they have released this no-deal planning. And this is for the worst-case scenario... Um, as of the 2nd of August 2019. So we're definitely in the Boris Johnson government by that point. This is nothing to do with Theresa May in terms of what they're releasing at this point. Um, and there's about 17, 18 points about what it's gonna, no deal is going to look like in the worst case scenario. And they saved the best to last because number 17 says low income groups will be disproportionately affected by any price rises in food and fuel. Wait, you mean you mean low income groups will be disproportionately negatively affected by a conservative policy? Yes. Well, although that actually there's one word that they left out from that sentence, which is just left it left, you know, as an inference, which is negatively. Yeah, disproportionately <laughs> affected. Maybe they'll have a fucking great time. That's the get out of jail card, isn't it? Two points before that, there's a massive section of black bars with the kind of uh, redacted uh, Mueller report kind of situation. Wonder what's under there. Yeah, everyone is that the bit where in the No Deal Brexit everyone eats their pets? Is is that what that bit is? Or I mean, does anything else cover uh, national security? It's got to be something to do with national security if they're redacting it. I don't know. One assumes that or it's like, you know, Boris Johnson will personally be forced to run naked through the streets of London. Yeah, there's a there's a story from Lewis Goodall, Sky News last week about uh, the situation at the border and how there's going to be just like massive delays. Almost all vehicles being affected. And a lot of that is confirmed in these documents. Some other bits from him, because he did a little thread about this. Uh, In Northern Ireland, the government also expects protests and direct action with road blockages. Big growth in the black market economy. And that will bolster criminal and distant groups, especially in border communities. Sounds great, you know. Uh, Just what we wanted. I'm not going to say return to the troubles, but a little bit more than just the word disruption describes, right? There will be some disruption to the border. I think that's a little bit more than disruption if that takes place. Fishing up to 282 EU and EEA vessels could enter UK waters illegally. Could cause anger and clashes between fishing boats. <gasps> fish wars. We're literally, fish wars. We're going to have... It's almost going to be like gladiators on sea. 
with the, the foam poles. With fishing vessels. Yeah. A lot of bad stuff, uh, Operation Yellowhammer. And it's also the worst case scenario. And that will be the main defence by many Brexiteers, I imagine. Oh, it's just the worst case, right? I'm sure it's going to be better than this. It's just the worst case scenario. It's not It's not the best case or the average case. It's the worst case. So n obviously none of this stuff is going to happen. I would argue that even if just one clause of these things happened, it would be pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in here that is like genuinely disastrous. But the good news is, hopefully, as things seem to be going, Boris Johnson is backed up into a corner and probably won't see any of this stuff actually happen because a no-deal Brexit is becoming a little bit more unlikely. It's not off the table completely if he decides to break the law, maybe, as he seems to have, you know, tried to do already, potentially. Anyway. See, this is, for this, for future, you've got a soundboard now. Uh, we need uh, the intro to uh, Three Six Mafia's Break the Law for whenever we bring that up. We do. We also have this on the soundboard, which is uh, since our last episode. Please leave my town. I, I will very soon. That was a great clip. That's definitely the way you've got to get politicians like that is by going up to them, pretending them that you're an Uber fan and then just like leaning in and just going, yeah, please get the hell out of my town. It's got to be on camera, though. Or that, That's how you know it's good. If it's not on camera, rolling camera, if it's a still image, then you just go up to them and just go for that photo shot like they did with people like Ted Cruz and that. Put your arm around them and then suddenly grab a sign that says something that they're not expecting whatsoever. So with the prospect of these no-deal plans hopefully not happening and no-deal Brexit being a lot less likely than it was, say, a month or two ago, that's because a general election is coming up at a time that potentially could be very disadvantageous for Boris Johnson after this no-deal blocking law has gone through Parliament. What's that general election look like? And what's it going to look like in terms of the Labour Party? Um, well, today we heard from the Deputy Leader, Tom Watson. And what did he say, Alex? Uh, he said uh, we need to have a second referendum before the next election. As opposed to... What As the... opposed to having an election, to bear with me here, get the votes, which don't currently exist, to pass a second referendum, and then have a second referendum. That was a bit complex wait, wait, for Tom. Wait, so you're saying we can't have a second referendum right now? Why, why is that? Because they've tried <laughs> about three times... Directed by Jeremy Corbyn, who has been for having a second referendum for quite some time now. And they've all failed because they don't have the numbers in the House. Is that because the Conservative Party is the largest party in Parliament? Would you believe? Yes. <laughs> a against all odds, the Conservative Party is the party in government and not the Labour Party. So what you're saying is, to get a second referendum, we need to have a general election. What I'm saying is... And that's not what in Tom order Watson's to get saying. A second but Tom referendum. Watson should be right on this, right? I mean... Because he's the biggest Remainer. He's got to know how to get a second referendum, right? Well, it turns out Tom Watson's main concern, and this is going to be a running theme in this segment, <laughs> is fucking over the le Labour leadership by saying he's really into the idea of stopping Brexit while actually sabotaging the best chances that anyone has to stop Brexit. Playing silly buggers, unfortunately, like... Everyone who matters knows what's up. They know what the best route available to a second referendum is, uh, the best route to getting past Brexit is. And, you know, while he's playing silly buggers like this for the sort of mass audience who genuinely seem to be, like, much more naive on this than you'd think, fortunately, he probably isn't being listened to in the halls of power. 
There has been many other bigger stories today that have kind of overshadowed it. But let's hear from this speech that he did today about whether we should have a general election before or a second referendum before. Let's hear a few clips from that. Boris Johnson has already conceded that the Brexit crisis can only be solved by the British people. But the only way to break the Brexit deadlock, once and for all, is a public vote in a referendum. A general election could fail to solve Brexit chaos. But if, as I accept is currently the case, we are more likely, in the first instance, to have a general election, then a referendum, then Labour will decide its position at the Clause 5 manifesto meeting. But if, as I accept is currently the case, we are more likely, in the first instance, to have a general election. Just, just thought I'd repeat that bit there. So he thinks a general election is more likely. Okay. And also, the only possible path to the second thing. So he's already saying it's unlikely that what he's saying will actually come about. So he's, he's, putting, yeah. he's putting the likelihood of success for what he's advocating for very low. I mean, well, surely, it, in order to be making this point at all, uh, he has to think that Labour might be unsuccessful at a, a election and mm. not be able to get, you know, be in an even more, advan- an even less advantageous position than they are now, right? Well, it's funny you say that because earlier in the speech, he basically said the opposite. He actually thinks Labour would win a general election. Okay. Let's listen. He and his scorched earth advisers have backed themselves into a corner. Boris Johnson he's talking about. And they see no other way out. An election might well be in the interests, or in his interests, although I doubt he will win it when it comes. But that doesn't make Brexit or a Brexit election desirable. Far from it. A general election should never be decided on a single issue. Okay. So he's just said in the middle there that he thinks the Labour Party would win a general election and therefore be able to secure... So what's what's the problem, Tom? What's the problem? Let's let's roll this out. So Labour should secure a second referendum. Labour will likely be in a better electoral and parliamentary position after an election. Not just better... Uh, better dominant than, in a better place from a place where you can't actually secure a second referendum in the first place right now therefore they should have the referendum before the election i'm not <laughs> following his logic here it sounds like he's just trying to be contrarian in order to undermine the leadership like even just at the basic level of how are you going to get it you know, how are you going to get the votes? How are you going to bring it about? And people need to ask themselves. All these people... Actually, no. Remainers don't need to ask themselves these questions and have not for about three yeah. years. So it's it's fine. Why would they stop now? Yeah. I, that bit jumped out at me the most. The bit when he was like... So yeah, no, if we did have a general election, I do actually think Labour would win, right? You know, obviously. Uh, but that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> we should have a second referendum first. I don't know how we'd have one or how we'd get there. I, I'm pre- I listened to pretty much all of his speech... There was not one bit where he actually laid out how we get a second referendum. You know, how we can get you well, know, through well, to that point. And you've got to remember, in the indicative votes, there's been a bit, a few changes in terms of the, the people moving around, how they're going to vote um, in Parliament this time. But in the indicative votes, the second referendum was the proposal that reached the most amount of opposition. It, it, it was the it was the proposal that reached the highest amount amount of nay yeah, votes, and it wasn't the one that came the closest to gaining some kind of consensus. No, that was the soft Brexit option. Yeah, and it it speaks to like his own kind of 
internally self-contradicting kind of statement that just goes to show that the position that the sort of hard remain group have kind of taken to is just <clears throat> at this point quite unsustainable because a core part of their mythology is that Jeremy Corbyn will not uh, re- will not fulfill what they want to have happen uh, because he's a secret Brexiteer and just the fact that right now he is offering a second referendum with a remain option stops their ability to sensibly deal with that because it's the people's vote they've been saying they want for three years. They finally got on what they wanted and they don't really know what to do, so they have to start saying stuff like this. Another group of people that have been doing that a little bit is the Lib Dems. They've announced this week they're, they're moving from a second referendum position. They're not advocating that anymore. Because Jeremy Corbyn's saying that now. Yeah, we're going to go. God for... knows we wouldn't want to have some kind of <laughs> consensus. Yeah, we can't have solidarity with him. Cool. Uh, they want to revoke Article 50 and just forget that anything happened. Un- just unilaterally. So they've gone from almost seeming like they just want to push things under the rug, under the bed, and just run out of the house to literally wanting to do that now uh, and just forget it all ever happened and just focus on how things you know in the in the country matter, like the real issues. Yeah. So this is this is staggeringly cynical of them because. Obviously, like, for a start, there's this would just be, like, pretty democratically illegitimate. They've been pushing the idea that them being elected to a position to run this would be, uh, like, de facto uh, democratic mandate for ending Article 50. But it seems pretty intuitive that regardless of what happens, like, a, a party being elected does not supersede the actual direct uh, like referendum uh, saying that a specific policy should take place. Because one is just, frankly, much more general than the other. The other is like a specific statement of the public's view of a particular issue. And that's why a second referendum to affirm or dismiss this pro- like anew is kind of the only option that really affects a sort of democratic stance but of course that doesn't matter what matters is that they have to outflank labor because they don't have anything else they have outflanking them on brexit and they have then just less popular policies than labor and they're they're also leaving the door open to you know like a a hard right government conservative government just to come in and go okay well we're just gonna reactivate article 50 yeah because you just deactivated it you had no like mandate to just say nah it doesn't matter and they would be more democratically justified to do so exactly they would be more entitled to do that than lib dems this is i someone someone put it like this on twitter and it's been kind of reverberating around in my head all day that this revoke article 50 thing is just the remain version of no deal oh yeah it's this sort of delusional and like deliberately playing on people's naivety idea that we can just get this over and done with and, you know, without thinking about the fact that there would be colossal catastrophic uh, repercussions. In the case of No Deal, the repercussions would largely be economic. They would be, uh, like, a disaster for our economy. Whereas, like, a just a unilateral revoke Article 50 position would just be politically catastrophic because it would just be the dismissal of a democratic vote. Not its supersession by a new democratic vote but just its dismissal by people who declare themselves Democrats. Yeah, <laughs> in their name. Yeah, 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 they're, they're not so fond of it. But of course, like I say, they have, to, they have to outflank Labour because otherwise 
there is no reason to support them. And so... We should also point out there was that petition, uh, the government website petition, that had like six, seven million signatures for revoking Article 50. Yes, and all of that was stupid. Yeah. (laughs) But like, it just, it reveals how unserious they are as a sort of political project. But also... Their their aim is to get 10, 20 more seats, isn't it? That's the situation they see in front of them. And to get into second place in more seats again, because they've lost on that front. I mean, the punchline has been the, the other thing that people have been doing. Uh, in the sort of you know anti-left center, where they've just been pretending that the idea of a second referendum is incomprehensible and impossible to get your head around, like <laughs> they've just been like, well, I, like Luciana Berger was pulling this idiotic thing of like, well, I I can't even un- I can't even understand Labour's policy. They're like, oh, they're unsettled again. Oh, they're, they're unsettled again. No. It's a fucking second referendum with a remain option and a solid plan for the leave option. It couldn't be clearer. It's the thing you were fucking asking for this entire time. I can't remember his name, but he tweeted out earlier today. I think he's the news editor of the Financial Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this tweet was incredible because it got completely ratioed to shit. Um, And it, it was a great example of how you can get to such a prominent job in journalism without having a functioning brain. Uh, he basically said, uh, like, Lib- no- he said, Lib Dems revoke Article 50. Conservatives, October 31st leave. Um, both have their Brexit policies in three words or less. What's Labour's? Who, you know, nobody knows. Can't Aaron work Bast- out. Aaron Bastani, to be fair, knocked it out of the park <laughs> by just saying, uh, referendum with Remain. <laughs> yeah, it's like three fucking words. Yeah. And not even just um, Aaron, like literally, there were so many people that just replied with, uh, like, just three word replies that was like and they were all valid it was like second referendum that's two yeah, yeah. They, they were all valid these were all other people's excellent tweets by the way yeah it's just uh, so many people in prominent positions it's they're pretending like to be obtuse because they can't admit that like if they wanted what they say they wanted they have to support the Labour Party yeah they just don't want to admit it we were talking about the Lib Dems and we mentioned Luciana Berger uh, on the last show as well she's joined the Lib Dems and since then, other people have moved over. Chukramuna. Uh, Chukramuna's been over for a while. He has, but his new announcement was moving out of Streatham to the City of London and Westminster to campaign there to win that seat. Uh, the seat currently... Didn't held... think his current people would have him, yeah. huh? <laughs> that, that majority definitely... Yeah, if he's running again. away from them, why should, Labour and, why should London Streatham take him? Well, I don't know. He seems to be thinking he can win there, but it's also very unlikely because the Lib Dems got 4,000 votes last time. On, and that was an 8% national vote share, right? So if they double their vote, they're going to get 16% of the national vote. And that would lead to, with a universal swing, like 8,000, right? Maybe 10,000. Let's round it up just for good measure. Well, the Conservatives got, I think, 18,000. The Labour Party got 14,000 in the last one, right? So you're going to need a little bit more than that to win it, Chukramana. And let's remember, if he is splitting that kind of left liberal vote... Who's going to win, the Conservatives? And who's going to win that seat as a Conservative candidate? Oh, yeah, that's right. The guy who grabbed the climate change uh, protesters by the neck and forced her out of that dinner in, in central London. That yeah. guy. That's well, the I guy mean, he's going to be keeping in Parliament. This is the implicit threat of... It was the implicit threat of Change UK. It, it was the implicit threat of the SDP. And it's, you can't be left-wing in this country because if you do, we will wreck for you. Like, yeah. we, we, like we will intervene it, it's the idea that it's impossible not because people don't want it but because opportunists basically will just do whatever they can to 
sabotage it. But fuck it, bring it on. Like we can just like like I say, the labor the labor party can just go. This guy had to run away from his last uh, place. Don't let him settle down here. We also had joining them recently uh, Angela Smith, uh, the funny tinge lady. Right, she was on Politics Live. Oh yeah, she's bringing a funny tinge to the Lib Dem yellow. Yeah, and if people don't understand what we're referencing by that, I'm sure people do. Uh, on Politics Live with Ash Sharkar, there was a discussion on race. And she ended up referring to people as a funny tinge and kind of motion towards Ashaka at the same time. So I think Ashaka's well within her rights, both personally yeah. and, it's and, a, and as a person of colour. This happened like general. five hours after their party launch. They, <laughs> they just Day immediately one had a racism uh, uh, thing. Uh, th- this is why they're now polling, I believe, 0%. Yeah, that's right. That's the answer to this. It's in your hands. Anyway, that's always going to be fun. I mean, it's turned out that there was literally no repercussion for these same people just backing the Liberal Democrats, even after what happened at the beginning of the decade. Yeah, which we we and many other people said that's going to eventually... They'll just be absorbed by the Lib Dems eventually, and now it's happening. Yeah. Apart from, you know, the real hardcore continuity change UK, you know, the Mike Gapes, the Chris Leslie's. Mike Gapes will not back down. (laughs) Chris Leslie, I guess, is just burning down his career. That's fine. I'll Uh, take that. Yeah. So we didn't mention earlier as well, there's this new BBC politics show, and this kind of ties into the proroguing situation with the courts, right? Where the Scottish courts basically saying that uh, the proroguing is unlawful from Boris Johnson. Um, so we saw this clip just before we went on air, and we thought we'd talk about it. Um, this is uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, who's a Conservative MP, Brexiteer, pretty sure. Uh, he's, he's in the media rounds quite a lot, as, as you know, an outspoken MP. And they're talking about how the courts are getting involved with political decisions, maybe. Um, uh, this Brexit process has brought the courts, has brought judges, has brought lawyers into the political process to a far greater extent than any of us have ever seen. We've had people contesting judgments, people contesting the right of the Prime Minister or the, the circumstances in which he pushes a prorogation. None of us have, any, have ever seen anything like this before. And what I would say is that the more that courts get involved in politics, that is a detriment not only to politics, but also to the courts. Because many people are saying, I'm not saying this, but many people, and I'm sure Nigel Farage might have a view on this, many people say, are saying that the judges are biased. The judges are getting involved in politics. I'm, just- I'm not saying it, but uh, but I, I'm, I'm, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying, and I'll just reference Nigel Farage here, but don't get me wrong, some people are saying this, but, I, but I'm not saying this. It's weird. You see, if I was presenting that kind of argument, I suppose I'd at least say something along the lines of, well, it would allow uh, like malicious actors to... Uh, like claim falsely uh, that the, these this was uh, like political overreach or something like that. I wouldn't put it as some people would say, not me of course, but some people. I'm sure very well informed, <laughs> smart people with serious concerns that we should pay attention to uh, are saying. It is like a sketch the way he's saying it in there because I read the tweet, I read the transcript of the conversation as a tweet online. And I was like, that sounds like it could be funny to watch, and then watched it. And it was exactly what I expected but also to the courts, because many people are saying, I'm not saying this, but many people, and I'm sure Nigel Farage might have a view on this, many people say, are saying that the judges are biased, the judges are getting involved in politics. I'm just saying what people are saying, that's what people are saying. So you don't think these judges took an independent and properly... not what I said, Andrew, you know what I said. ...adjudicated I said, decision. I said that I think that they are impartial. 
But I'm saying that many people, many Leave voters, many people up and down the country are beginning to question the partiality of the judges. That's just a fact. People are saying this all the time. They're saying, why are judges getting involved in politics to a far greater degree? But you, but you think they are impartial. I think they're impartial, but I'm so saying... So why would you bring it up that lots of people Because think that's what not. people are saying. We've got to be honest about so the So you debate. tell these people tonight, be, our judges are say, impartial. Believe, they are regarded across right. the world as some of the greatest judges in any democracy. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. But what I'm saying is that, and we can't turn our, a blind eye to this, is that people are very, very uh, dubious about the process. And the extent to which lawyers and judges are interfering in politics is something that concerns many people. That's, how, that's the perception. They're upholding the law. So, as I said, you and, you've been following politics as I have been involved in politics for decades. We have never seen a situation like this where judges and lawyers are being appealed to all the time, effectively to overturn democratic uh, mandates. If so basically he believes none of that, but he just wants to really bring it to the forefront and it's talk about so it. It's so cynical. Yeah. <laughs> why why like... would somebody bring up the fact that all the lots of people not him, but you know, lots of people out there, but not him, um, you know, think that the judges are being biased and um, getting involved in political decisions if he doesn't, you know, want to admit yeah. that himself and he thinks that they're actually impartial and it's like well we need to do something about it and it's like well the first thing to do is if you are such a believer in the capacity of our judges to be neutral even in these times maybe you might take it upon yourself to educate these people and explain and articulate why it isn't the case rather than just saying well they are wrong but we should take them seriously even yeah. though they <laughs> yeah. are wrong so it, without it, justifying that other than like well we should just give in to the wrong people the obvious point is that it's extremely politically advantageous for him to put it in that frame. Yeah, it's just cynicism. Yeah. Should we talk about John Bolton? Hell yes. Who is John Bolton for those who don't know? John Bolton is fucking nobody right now, but he <laughs> was uh, one of the foremost uh, advisors on foreign policy uh, in the American government. He's a longtime neocon, one of the architects of the Iraq war, He's kind of one of the most bloodthirsty figures in American politics. He was a big, like, we should go to war with Iran guy. But um, he fucked up. He got in after, uh, I believe, H.R. Uh, McMaster left. Because uh, Donald Trump has been moving through, uh, I believe, national security advisors. He's been moving through administration staff like like no tomorrow since yeah, day one it's i've lost track of it do you remember Ryan's prebus do you remember oh right i mean that feels like the season one doesn't it it's it, it's crazy how many he's gone through and the loss of this guy john bolton i mean i didn't see it coming but uh it it's it, it really does prove that he cannot literally work with anyone well he's not instinctually a near apart from stephen miller his instinctual thing is people won't like it if we go to war so let's not do that and John Bolton's instinctual angle is we should go to war with literally anyone who threatens our hegemony in any way. And a great example of that is this piece um, that was reported in July, late July, where Trump's uh, asking John Bolton about what they should do. A White House uh, Situation Room meeting uh, to do with national security uh, about these different countries. And he says, let me guess, you want to nuke them all, right? <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> to John Bolton. I mean, this is what John Bolton need, needs, because if there's one thing that's infuriating about the American sort of foreign policy uh, like community, it's that they all insist that everyone is like righteous and acting in the best interests and a, a dignified voice of peace, even though most of them are like bloodthirsty ghouls. This is something that came up with Elliot Abrams about a year ago. 
where he was drafted in to help out on regime change in Venezuela and ended up getting completely and outrageously, I'm sure, grilled by Ilan Omar. Oh, that was right. a great clip. That was beautiful. That was that was one of the things that really just secured my complete approval of her. Like just a genuine anti-imperialist with the actual ability to make this stuff said. And uh, like basically, John Bolton. Considering these people are always just inundated with bipartisan respect, even though like most of them have like the blood of hundreds of thousands of people on their hands, it's good to see one of them just get as little respect as he deserves. And um, in particular, yeah, this this guy has just been a a, a real failure across the board. He's been pushing for a uh, war with Iran for ages, which. Uh, Trump mostly listens to the actual generals rather than the sort of neocon think tank ghouls. And the generals all know what's up with Iran. They know that that war would be a disaster. So they genuinely they generally push back on it. And it kind of pushed uh, Bolton out to sea. He also, of course, promised big on the ability of, of uh, Juan Guaido to uh, displace uh, Maduro in Venezuela and take over and how it, it would be easy he'd be celebrated immediately uh and that hasn't really worked out no. so uh Majuro wins another one guys um yeah so as a result of those failures as well as a couple of other things just kind of fraying as far as um uh as as far as american foreign policy goes uh he's just been marginalizing himself more and more and finally he and donald trump had a conversation Apparently, what happened was Donald Trump said, I'll think about it and I'll tell you in the morning. And then he immediately oh, tweeted yeah. <laughs> that John Bolton was out on his ass. And uh, John Bolton tweeted like, but he just said to me last night that I'll think about it in the morning. This is John Bolton being treated with every bit of respect he deserves, if not far too much. I mean, how many more people are going to go? It, I can't even... Like, who is still there in the Trump administration that is from the original team? Stephen Miller, and that's about it? Stephen Miller has hung on like a cockroach. And, like, he's kind of the dark heart. He's, like, no genius, but he is, like, the most malicious one of them. He is actively a white supremacist working to put in place, like, hardline white nationalist uh, positions as American policy. Uh, he's been extremely successful in it, and yeah, he's just he's just clung on. He seems to be, for whatever else we want to say about him, extremely talented at sticking around in the Trump White House, which is a weird skill set that many more senior people have not been able to keep up with. Yes. We're going to finish the episode soon, but I just wanted to come back to those Operation Yellowhammer documents because they kind of were well, released just before we started recording. So we have managed to have a, a really good look at them. But that uh, point 0.15 that was redacted, it's been released already what it is. Because there's a journalist who it got leaked, saw an earlier version, um, like last month, something like that, and she is now tweeting what it actually is. 15. Facing EU tariffs makes petrol exports to the EU uncompetitive. Industry had plans to mitigate the impact on refinery margins and profitability, but the UK government policy to set petrol import tariffs at 0% inadvertently undermines these plans, right? This leads to significant financial losses and an announcement of two refinery closures and transition to import uh, terminals and direct job losses, about 2,000. So we were at 2,000 job losses, closure of two refineries. Okay, right. 
Resulting strike action at refineries would lead to disruptions to fuel availability for one to two weeks in the regions directly supplied by the refineries. Okay. They decided to redact that. Why? Because they didn't redact it previously. It's very interesting because what that 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 means because there's nothing in there that's a matter of uh, like national security or anything that's yeah. really much worse in terms of like why you would redact it for good reasons than any of the other points. Which means the reason they did it was it's going to be massively unpopular yeah. and it's going to make them look like pieces of shit. <laughs> And it's not clear... And it makes them look stupid because they just stumbled over their own dicks in undermining <laughs> petrol companies' ability to continue business as usual. Yeah. And now it's out there, so people know what it is. Um, but again, the Brexiteers will defend it by saying, that's oh, only worst case scenario, it's not going to happen, right? Or they'll just say it's made up. You've just got to believe in Brexit. Or it's the civil service, right? It's not actually the government, it's the civil service. And as we know, they're all Remainers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, all, they're all Remainers uh, infiltrating. We're going to finish there. Parliament is no longer in session. A general election campaign is... Which means politics is over and we can go on a break. <laughs> not necessarily, because now we're basically in a general election season. And we're going to be just having policy announcements most of the days. And we have Lib Dem Conference this weekend, which we're all going to be going to, right? Woo! Exciting it? stuff. It's in Brighton, right here. Oh... <laughs> Uh, no, That's we, a shame. I don't think we're going to be reporting from that uh, anytime soon. But TWT will be coming up, so that's on the horizon. And we'll be talking about that as it arrives. This has been Off The Fence. If you've listened to us for the first time, soundcloud.com slash off the fence is where you can follow us. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Off The Fence Talk. We'll see you there. I'm James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. Cheers.